what's going on man welcome back to the basement i'm ron i'm not gonna lie to you guys a little beat up from the weekend went out got sick i'm all scratchy stuffy so gonna be a little bit under the weather that's why this video is coming out a little bit late but you guys love these top 10 takeaways video we're so late into the season i don't really want to miss one we're probably gonna do a like skeleton week this week with christmas coming up here want to take some time with the family friends all that good stuff so we'll probably do takeaways waiver wire uh must starts and then maybe we'll sprinkle in a live stream there because i do want to mess around on underdogs new uh playoff best ball so we'll have like probably three videos in a live stream this week again this one's a little bit late because not feeling the best right now but i strapped together 10 lessons learned from you guys that we're going to go through here so if you enjoy make sure you down below subscribe leave a like let's go Thirsty, thirsty, try to choose. I mean, I know I'm pretty cool. My nitty All right, so our first takeaway is Jet McKinnon League winner. Now, we're just going to kind of, I always say rapid fire. I know this is going to take a lot longer than I think it's going to, but some of these aren't as detailed as they usually are. And this one I just wrote down Jet McKinnon League winner. This is a guy we were taking like in the last round of drafts. I remember taking him. Uh, like I took him early, early, early on, like one of my first best ball mania drafts. And I was like down bad because I think he got cut or something, uh, from the chiefs. Trevor McKinnon has kind of like been on the roster bubble this entire time, but he's really turned up the last two weeks. If you have a hero RB team with him or a zero RB team with him, you have been not bailed out. I don't want to say, but we have now two back-to-back 30 point weeks. He is the leading fantasy point per game running back over that span, probably just fantasy player in general over that span. And he has done it on just like eight carries per game. He's scoring touchdowns. He's catching a ton of passes, seven catches last week, eight catches this week. And on a team that doesn't have a ton of wide receivers, like it's kind of the Clyde Edwards-Alaire thesis that we had where no Tyreek, it's just Kelsey and Juju. Clyde Edwards-Alaire should be taking a ton of catches in the passing game as a guy who was used in that facet at LSU. Things didn't pan out for him, but down the stretch here, Jerry McKinnon has been essentially what we thought Clyde Edwards-Alaire could maybe be at his ceiling when he got drafted. But instead, this is a 31-year-old Jarek McKinnon just going crazy. And I think that he still should be good to go rest of the year as I get top 24 to 30 play every year, every week from here on out. Now, our second takeaway. Uh, now, these are going to be takeaways, lessons learned as it pertains to fantasy football. I probably should have said that at the top, but we're all good. And this is Desmond Ritter, debut. He is probably not good. Now, it's just one game, and we want to give these rookie quarterbacks some time to develop, right? Trevor Lawrence looked awful last year, but there's a difference when you invest a first overall pick and a round three pick in a quarterback. They don't have as long of a leash here. And when we look at Desmond Ritter, it was not good here. On the road versus the Saints, he was bottom three in PFF passing grade. He was bottom three in EPA per play, CPOE composite, which is EPA per play, which is a really nice way of just – putting together offensive efficiency just based on down and distance, what you're expected to get, how much are you adding to your offense on top of what's already expected. He was negative there. Completion percentage over expected is really bad. You can see here, CPOE. So because he had an 8.2 A dot, his completion percentage was expected to be like 70.6%. Instead, it was 52%. That's a minus 18.6% completion percentage over expectation. That is really, really, really bad. It was tough. So we like I can keep going through these zero big time throws, two turnover worthy plays. He went 13 for 26 for just 97 passing yards. Again, 
He isn't going to get a ton of slack like these other quarterbacks. That's why I'm being so harsh on him. Probably gets the rest of the season to show if he's a good quarterback or not. So what's that? Probably like another three games of like audition tape for him. We'll see. It wasn't promising. I will say for fantasy, if he does sort of get it together as a passer and the Falcons somehow don't address quarterback in the offseason, six rush attempts for 38 rushing yards is at least good enough to have some nice rushing uh, rushing upside there. I just don't know. Uh, I don't know that it looks promising that he'll ever earn a starting job. Now, again, just one game, small sample. Uh, just wanted to sort of talk about what I saw from Desmond Ritter. After that, we have, I wouldn't hold this season against Deontay Johnson long-term. Today, he had 10 catches, 10 targets, like 98 yards, which is a good day. He's just had like a really bad, like I would almost say like a really bad luck year. Like he kind of, it kind of reminds me of when Stephon Diggs was in Minnesota and he wasn't all that good for like maybe two out of those like four or five years comes to the Bills and is amazing. I think at its core, Deontay Johnson is a talented wide receiver. And I just kind of want to put that message out there that he's had a really bad year, but I wouldn't like hold this against him in Dynasty or next year. Now, I do think that he signed an extension with the Steelers. I do want to check that real quick, but I could have sworn in the offseason that he signed an extension with them. Uh, if I look at that contract, because that's going to be the tough part is, you know, what changes? I think Matt Canada uh, probably is gone as offensive coordinator, but what really changes? Now, they actually do have a potential out here. He signed an extension through 2024, but it seems like they could cut him after this year and not have a ton go towards the cap. It's a potential out one year. They have to, Yeah, they'd have to pay a ton in cap. They probably wouldn't do that, but he's there for the next three years. So that's the issue. Like what changes? Maybe OC changes, maybe quarterback changes. I will say Pickens has kind of shown, and we'll get into him in a little bit. He's shown that to not be like, I don't think Pickens is ever going to be like a 28% target share guy. And I don't think Fryermuth will ever be that. So if he does stay on the Steelers, the target should be there. Comes down the quarterback play in scheme. Deontay Johnson has succeeded with bad quarterbacks, right? Ben Roethlisberger, he succeeded even his, in like his first year with like Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. He's just been super unlucky this year. I know that that's kind of like a cop-out thing to say, but if anybody's been unlucky, it's been Deontay Johnson. This is a tweet from Sam Hoppin. Deontay Johnson's now up to 123 targets and zero receiving touchdowns, perhaps one of the most intriguing storylines as we enter the final three weeks. Uh, the original tweet is Deontay Johnson fails to get a receiving touchdown this season. He will have set the record for most targets in a season without a touchdown since 1992. You guys can see those names there. I mean, like, I think Amani Toomer was okay back in his day. I think Torrey Holt was, Akeem Hicks. It's just a lot of catches and a lot of targets without a touchdown. It's uncharacteristic, even in a bad offense, right? And PFF has a really good usage model where they take into account like red zone drives and targets and all of that. And based on their model, he's expected to have 5.8 touchdowns this year. Now that's not even a lot. 5.8 is pretty damn low, but it's still touchdowns, right? It's not zero. So if we add 5.8 touchdowns to his fantasy points this year, and I know that you can't have 0.8 of a touchdown, but I just want to keep it true to what's expected of him. He would go from the wide receiver 41 to the wide receiver 24 in points per game, smack dab between Debo and McLaurin. So while he's not a league winner this year, if he was just scoring touchdowns at what he's expected to score touchdowns within this bad offense, again, we're just talking five to six touchdowns through 15 weeks. It's not anything insane, right? Like Jahan Dotson might already be there. If he was between Debo and McLaurin this year for where you drafted him, he's probably fine. I'm not going to be penalizing him a ton long-term, like in Dynasty or even going into next season. If we do see changes at OC, um, or a quarterback change, I'll largely be buying. I think that we're going to get him for a pretty good discount 
and he still hasn't shown me that he's a bad player. I think it's been a lot of situation this year. And this is the last thing I'll sort of leave on on this point. This is him in 538's uh, wide receiver ratings. And this is a really cool concept they've had where they have open score, catch score, and yak score. So how are you good at you at getting open? How good are you at the catch point? And how good are you after the catch? And Deontay Johnson is one of just nine wide receivers with an 80-plus overall score. Browns here, Diggs, Jefferson, Tyree Kill, Chase. Deontay Johnson has been good. You guys can see as well, like his 94 open score, I think is the, I think it's only behind Lockett and A.J. Brown here. Yeah, like he's been great at getting open. Yak and catch point uh, are lacking a little bit, but he's just a very good route runner. He gets open. He kills reception perception every year. I imagine he'll kill it. Uh, in this offseason when Matt Harmon charts that stuff. Again, I'm just saying I know that he's had such a bad season and a really disappointing season if you drafted him. But as a talent, like I, I don't think any different of him than I did last season. After that, we have the consolidation of this Eagles passing offense. It's just been beautiful this year. Uh, I really like, since Goddard has left, I just like that Sirianni doesn't really leave a ton of meat on the bone when it comes to just maximizing his best players, which is really all you can ask for. As an offensive play caller, I think like maybe one of the more important things you can do is just be in a spot where you are using your resources and being mindful of your resources, right? Being mindful of like, if you if you have 30 dropbacks in a game, X amount should be to your best players, right? There shouldn't be like, you'll see a ton of the time like uh, McVay. I think McVay is a great play caller as well, but you'll see a lot of like Tyler Higby screens and Ben Scourneck screens. And it's even uh, Shanahan. He'll draw up screens for like Jawan Jennings. And it's just like, again, I know that those guys are good at calling plays and they're good at what they do, but there has to be more thought and mindfulness towards personnel and getting the ball into players that aren't running backs or quarterbacks where, you know, you can just call up a run play and they'll get the ball regardless. You can call up a passing play and the quarterback's going to throw the ball wide receiver takes a little bit more effort and tight end to make sure that the guys you want to get the balls are getting the balls and I think Sirianni does a great job at that if we look here this is the last like five weeks since Goddard left AJ Brown and Devonta Smith have accounted for 56.4 percent of the targets which is great uh, that means that they're both like clearing 25 percent target shares here uh, they're both accounting for 70 percent of the yards they're accounting for 75 percent of the touchdowns in this passing game they are the passing game and because they're so good at getting open and they're both, you know, so good that you can't just like double one of them. You double one of them, you're going to get the other guy wide open. It's enough in the passing game so that you can feed off of those guys and not have to like spread the ball around super thin. And it just makes for a spot where if you are allocating a lot of your touches, a lot of your targets to your best players like Devonta Smith and AJ Brown, good things are going to happen. So Shout out to the Eagles. I think Goddard, when Goddard comes back, it's going to get a little bit flatter than this, but it's still going to be consolidated between A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Goddard. Uh, after that, we have the world-famous rookie-wide receiver report. Uh, I ordered these by PFF grade this time. I think it's probably a little bit easier to follow. Um, so first up, uh, and I'll just go from PFF grade all the way down to the bottom, and there's some guys that are hidden here that I'll sort of scroll up. Uh, but we have Garrett Wilson here. We're going to talk about it at the end of the video, but he did the best he could with Zach Wilson today or yesterday. He had nine targets, which is great, but turned that into just four catches for 98 yards. There were a lot of balls from Zach Wilson thrown that just were not on point, overthrown. You could see like Garrett Wilson, there were several times where he was just like visually mad and frustrated. It's a reoccurring theme with Zach Wilson at this point. He's missing throws and wide receivers and pass catchers are, you know, showing body language that they are fed up at this point. Get a new quarterback under center to the point where, Guys are clamoring for Mike White to come back in. Uh, 
On the positive side, though, his PFF grade went from like an 84.4 to an 86.3 in this game. So from a film perspective and PFF, he looked great. Again, I think quarterback just held him back a little bit. 86.3 PFF grade would have him tied for the fifth highest PFF grade ever for a rookie wide receiver tied with Michael Thomas. So he is in pretty historic company here. Similar story with Olave. It was a run first game script versus the Falcons that they pretty much had a handed lead all game in. So there wasn't a ton of pass attempts. So he just ended up with like four targets, three catches, 53 yards. But same thing with Wilson. Not great on the stat sheet, but his PFF grade went from an 84.3 to an 85.4, which probably moves him up a little bit in the all-time PFF rankings. But again, those two on top, I feel no different about them. Uh, Rashid Shahid, man, he is third or he's tied with Drake London for third in PFF grade. And he's someone to keep tabs on. Now, the Saints are notorious for having these sort of uh, random wide receivers pop off, right? We can talk through Traquan Smith. You can talk through Marcus Callaway, Deontay Harris last year. Now he's Deontay Hardy. A lot of these guys that sort of pop and then just get forgotten on this team. So I'm not saying fall for Rashid Shahid, right? Have limited expectations. There's a chance that this is just a blip on the radar and he sucks for the rest of his career. He's 24 years old, undrafted, out of like a random school. But he's the only rookie wide receiver right now not named Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson with a two yards or better yards per out run and a 75-plus PFF passing grade or receiving grade. And that's on almost a 20-target sample, over 100 routes. Like, this isn't a small sample guy at all. Uh, Again, risky. There's not a ton of draft capital or money tied into this guy. So I don't know how that works out long term. But if he's on waivers in your dynasty leagues or anything like that, I think he's worth a pickup. Uh, he's interesting. Again, I wouldn't get too over your heels. I think his absolute, absolute ceiling is like uh, Darnell Mooney, uh, Robbie Anderson, like Darius Slayton, like somewhere in there is like field stretcher, probably not a big prime or like anything that's like a huge payoff, but someone that's interesting. Just keep, ta- just keep tabs on Rashid Shahid is all I can really say there. Uh, after that, we have Drake London first game with Ritter. The good news is that he had 11 of 26 targets for a 42% target share. The bad news is what we've been running into all season is that he commands a huge chunk of the pie, but the pie is so damn small to begin with. Just 97 passing yards and zero touchdowns to go around. So even if you get 11 catches or 11 targets there, there's only so many fantasy points you can absorb from 97 passing yards and zero touchdowns from a rookie quarterback. Again, this is what we've been talking about all season with Drake London. Yards per run is going to look bad in this situation. PFF grade is strong. Target per run leads the class right now. He's commanding targets. He looks good. I'm still very much a believer in Drake London. Uh, I'm buying everywhere. I think I saw a picture from uh, Josh Larkey that he's like behind Jamison Williams on keep trade cut. If somebody offered a Drake London for my Jamison Williams, I would snap accept. Same thing with George Pickens. Same thing with probably Traylon Burks as well. Uh, probably same thing with Christian Watson as well. I'll be honest. I think I'd probably snap accept unless if I have Olave or Garrett Wilson, any other rookie wide receiver. Uh, and I, I know you, you never really get offered rookie wide receiver for rookie wide receiver, but I'm just saying if I, if I was offered, I probably snap except on uh, any of those. Now we have Burks who was hurt. Uh, Watson is playing tonight. Wandale who's hurt. Look at the rest of these guys and I'm going to cover my face a little bit, but it is what it is. But Jahan Dotson, uh, had his best game as a pro last night, five targets, four catches, 105 yards, a touchdown, his first game with an 80 plus PFF, uh, receiving grade. Uh, his first 100-yard receiving game, his first game over two yards per out run. If he can build on this game in any capacity, I will be extremely interested in Jahan Dotson. Very impressed with that game. He doesn't have a 70-plus PFF grade, but, I mean, like, 69.7 isn't awful. 
after that, you have Sky Moore, who goes from 32% of the routes to 25% to now 19.5%. They're dwindling. Tony's coming back. Hardman's coming back. Firmly time to panic uh, on Sky Moore. Just unfortunate. Uh, after that, you have Pickens, who I think was okay, I guess. like He had four targets for an 18% target share uh, in a run-heavy game script versus the Panthers. He had two catches for 53 receiving yards, which is decent. But again, I just have a hard time. And I don't mean to be too hard on Pickens. He's still like a top 24 dynasty wide receiver to me. But just a guy that I was really high on that I thought had a high ceiling. I just struggled to picture sort of how he gets like a top five scoring season at wide receiver. Now, of course, there's like maybe like 15 wide receivers with that in their range, right? But Pickens was supposed to be a, a, a high ceiling guy. And the more that I kind of look into his numbers and sort of see his usage, he kind of sees like a – he kind of – looks like a lower ceiling, uh, season-long guy, high ceiling, single-week guy, like a Mike Williams, right? Like Mike Williams is never going to command a 30% target share and give you Devontae Adams-type numbers, right? There's only a certain amount of people that can give you Devontae Adams-type numbers when it comes to commanding targets, yards, touchdowns. But Mike Williams can give you a 40-point 40 40 spike week, which I think that's what George Pickens will be. And again, it's very early. I just have a hard time seeing how he gets from like the track he's on to being just like a, a downfield spectacular catch guy, go jump, a ju- uh, go jump up and get it, maybe score a touchdown and like 100 yards on three to four catches type guy. But I'm not sure how he goes from there to being like a 12 target, 10 catch, 150 yards and two touchdown guy. Now, obviously, again, I keep on saying this, but only a few guys have access to that. I'm just saying when you can sort of rule that out after – you know, year one for a guy, and you drafted him because he was an early declare, super young guy, all the tools in the world, freshman breakout, X wide receiver, all of the upside in the world, it's really tough for me to treat him with that same upside. Again, I think Mike Williams is probably in his range. I'm trying to think of kind of other guys that have that archetype. Uh, I don't want to say Marvin Jones, but I think like Kenny got like prime Kenny Galladay is like a decent one uh, to kind of compare him to. But yeah, it's it's really tough for me to sort of find a path for picking unless he just comes out next year, runs less vertical routes and commands a ton of targets. I'm not sure. Uh, I do think that he'll be efficient just, you know, receiving downfield and he'll have some crazy catches and maybe he has like a spike 12 to 14 touchdown season. Again, I'm just having a hard time sort of seeing him have like sustained success as like a wide receiver one in fantasy. I think it would be tough for him to get to that point. Now, also when we're looking at George Pickens, target prout run sucks. Yards per run sucks. PFF grade sucks. It all is is not good there. Uh, Alec Pierce, he had his best game as a pro before the bye week, like 25% target share. Uh, I want to say he had like four catches for like 85 yards and a touchdown. Looked really good. And then he drops an absolute goose egg uh, versus the Vikings on Saturday, which was a great game. He puts up just a 9% target share, zero catches, zero yards on the day. Pierce does some more of that down the stretch here, and he is trending towards hard face planner status. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, still not good. Still not good. He has just been getting a boost in uh, route participation, right? So he goes from 36% to 97 to 97. And that's just because Devonta Parker has been banged up. And Jamison Williams is getting frustrating. And it has nothing to do with him. It's just the coaching staff. Uh, I think he's been great. He beat the Jets secondary, which is one of the best in the NFL. Literally beat the entirety of it. He beat DJ Reed. He beat the safeties. And all Goff had to do was put it in the back of the end zone. And he threw it to like the goal line, essentially. Uh, it was just over. It was underthrown. DJ Reed broke it up, but Jamison Williams beat our best guys in coverage. Uh, the issue is, is that the staff just isn't really trying to ramp him up too aggressively. I think that he only ran like six routes this week. Sucks because I'm really excited for the talent. I think he can play, uh, but 
if he's not going to pass like 60% route participation at any point this season, I don't think that he'll be someone you can put in lineups until 2023. Uh, after that, we have Chuba Hubbard sort of took over this backfield, but not really is what I wrote down for. And I know that that sounds weird, but this is a game that the Panthers were trailing the entire time, despite being like home favorites. I thought that this was going to be a game that they would actually be up in this game. They weren't. That's not an ideal game script for Deonta Foreman. They had just 21 rushing yards as a team here. They abandoned the run game, and it looks pretty ugly here. Hubbard had 63% of the snaps. Deonta Foreman had 30%, but seven touches to Hubbard, 10 for Deonta Foreman. Neither of them really panned out. I would expect a pretty even split moving forward. I think that this just kind of shows us that their roles are going to be pretty game script dependent. If they are underdogs and going to be trailing, that'll be a Chuba Hubbard game. If they are favorites, I mean, they were favorites in this one. This one, it just didn't go the way that Vegas foresaw it. But if they're favorites or anything like that, I think Deonta Foreman is going to be usable still. Uh, after that, I have the Tyler Algier explosion, just as a note. I know we don't do rookie running back reports, so I figured I'd talk about him. But he had 17 carries, 139 yards, and a touchdown on the ground, 22.6 PPR points. He led all running backs this week in rushing PFF grade. He looked great. Uh, only downside is not much in the passing game. I think he had like one catch for minus three yards. But again, Desmond Ritter didn't really pass the ball a ton or create a ton of passing yards here. But I still think as a pure rusher, strong showing for Tyler Algier. I don't know what the upside looks like for him. I'm trying to sort of think through it. Like not like I guess James like I I guess James Robinson is like a decent ceiling for James Ro or for Tyler Algier. But I'm not sure. I think essentially what this is going to be is another, right, 16, 17, 18 for Tyler Algier. And if he keeps running like this, I think that he can maybe play his way into either being a lead guy next year or a 1B guy next year if this is a team that drafts like a Bijan or a Gibbs or a Zach Evans, any of those types, or even just brings in like a David Montgomery or Josh Jacobs, all of these guys who are pretty good running backs in this class. Uh, after that, I wrote down pretty much like Jet McKinnon, Zay Jones, league winner. Uh, I know a friend of the show, by the way, I hopped on underdog on last Friday where we talked through like our best matchups. Uh, and he loves Zay Jones, Josh Norris. Uh, Josh Nor or Zay Jones has been absolutely insane since the bye week. He is the wide receiver five in points per game with three 20-plus point games, averaging 22.2 points per game since week 12. I think you probably have to – like, I, I ranked him at, like, I think, like, wide receiver 32 this week or, or last week. I, I, I don't know how you can keep him outside of your top 30 wide receivers rest of season. At nine, I have Ramondre Stevenson. I think that we kind of have to – I think we have to kind of step back and realize how special he's been this year, Ramondre Stevenson. I know that early on in his career, we would have a headline in these videos where it would be, like, Ramondre Stevenson season. And it's been Ramondre Stevenson season, but – I think there's some staying power to Ramondre Stevenson's season at this point. Off a bum ankle, he runs for 172 rushing yards on 19 carries, which is just wild yesterday. And the conversation I think that needs to be had with Ramondre Stevenson is, uh, I, I don't think that this is just another day three running back. I think that this is somebody that can be on that Aaron Jones path of monster efficiency with the ability to command targets. He is just one of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight running backs with 100 plus carries and 55 plus targets. That is Eckler, McCaffrey, Fournette, Kamara, Saquon, Aaron Jones, Mixon. It's a pretty damn good group of guys who can do it on the ground and do it through the air. Mixon hasn't really been that for his entire career, but if you look back to his college days, he was a 
like I can't even explain how good of a downfield receiving prospect he was. He was as good as Kamara in that area of his game. Just so happens his team hasn't used him in that way until this year a little bit. But just in terms of guys, you know, again, Kamara, Aaron Jones, Eckler, CMC, just to be in the Saquon, just to be in the same breath as those guys in terms of what you're doing on the ground and through the air means that Ramondre in a world where I keep talking about like legendary running backs are going to be super hard to come by. Guys who can give you 80 plus receptions and 25 plus points per game. We haven't seen that since Alvin Kamara in 2020. And I don't think we're going to see that from any of these aging running backs. I don't think that uh, maybe McCaffrey has access to it, but like Eckler, Kamara, Saquon, these are guys that are coming at the tail end of their primes. I'm not sure that they're going to get the efficiency spikes to get there. And in an NFL with no bell cows, I don't think that they're going to get the volume to get there. But I think young guys like Ramondre coming up here can maybe, can maybe reach that, but I'm not sure. Uh, but I do think that he's at the very least has, you know, RB1 overall upside in the idea of what Eckler has been doing this year, what Kamara used to do uh, when he was a little bit more in his prime. Now, our last takeaway here, also Ramondre has 17.9 points per game since week three and is the RB5 over that span. He's just been amazing. Uh, our last takeaway is I kind of just want to get some things off my chest with Zach Wilson, man. I've been, <laughs> I've been battling with people all day on Twitter that are defending Zach or that are defending Zach Wilson coming at me, whatever. And it's just gotten to a point here. Now, of course, if you don't want to hear me talk through jets, especially not super fantasy related jets, you can feel free to skip, but just something I kind of want to talk through just in terms of where I'm at with Zach Wilson. Cause I think that for dynasty and the, I think just for the dynasty sake of guys like Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, who are huge assets in that game. Uh, and just in general with this team moving forward with Zach Wilson, Again, I don't think I don't think that this was necessarily on his back. You know, this losing losing this game at home versus the Lions, we let up a really bad fourth and short touchdown with like two minutes left. Uh, Salah could have used timeouts much better. You can't take a field goal from 50, 58 yards out and end that game with a timeout not used. Like if he had used that third timeout and used the first one that he used earlier than that, maybe we get to the forty or the thirty-five to kick this field goal. Just really dumb stuff, which is kind of the give and take when you have a leader of men, motivator, a la Vrabel, Sala, these guys who are kind of, are kind of juice heads, uh, but you know, they get the people going essentially. I love Sala, but he needs to so bad hire some kind of nerd that has like an analytics background and decision-making that is on top of his timeouts is on top of his fourth down decisions. His fourth down decisions have been pretty awful this year. Uh, just in terms of like, oh, you should go for it here. He's not going for it there. But like sometimes he'll do like a fake punt out of nowhere and just like hang his nuts on the other team. It's very weird. Uh, but when it comes to Zach Wilson, I've just seen it enough, man. He missed routine throws all day long, throws that Mike White can make. And again, we talked about earlier, but throws that players are now getting annoyed that Zach Wilson can't make these throws. Mike White can make these throws. We're done with this kid. It's over. Zach Wilson is 6'2", 215 pounds. So he is a small, frail quarterback. He's not physically gifted like a Josh Allen. His entire point, uh, the entire point of drafting Zach Wilson is that he was a high-level process maker or processor and decision maker in college. This was a guy who had a million touchdowns to a limited amount of turnovers. You look at big time throws, a turnover-worthy play ratio. I think that he has the highest in my entire database. But this is a guy who is just tearing up small school BYU competition right like UCFs and UABs and all of these random schools coastal Carolina just not a great schedule 
And again, his calling part coming to the league was decision-making, processing, arm talent. And I'm yet to see that consistently through 20 games. He can't make reads. He can't make easy throws at this point. And if it's not here at this point, like I, I just don't know what else there is to see. Now, we're going to take a little stroll on the combine because I, or, uh, on the timeline because I was just airing out takes earlier today. Hopefully, this, this shows the way I want it to. Now, I don't know anything about film at all, but like this is a highlight put together by a guy that I love in the Jets community, uh, Spyro Kush. And like, it is just like, there's nothing, there's nothing redeeming on most of these throws. Like he's just missing guys wide open. Like that's Garrett Wilson across the middle. He needs to hit him earlier. He needs to hit him in the hands. That's Garrett Wilson, a guy who can make all the catches in the world. This pick was just insane. He just stares down Elijah Moore the entire time. It was just a like pretty much just a vanilla cover three there. Look at this. Just absolute just dirts a swing pass. If you can't make that, if you can't make that five yard throw, like I I don't understand why he's here. Like this throw was a YOLO pass. He was bailed out all day on those. Like if you want to look at his stats and his yards per attempt, they look good. That's because he essentially closed his eyes and threw it as far as he could a million times. They were underthrown 50-50 balls that he got lucky on because we have such good playmakers at wide receiver. The issue is with that part of his game is he does have these YOLO balls where he chucks up and they're not even good. They're not even pretty go balls. He underthrows people all the time and they get caught because we have such good wide receivers. The issue is, is that if a majority of your plus EV plays, the plays that help you win games aren't replicable and it's just purely luck and you can't consistently make those plays every single game because you can't consistently make 50-50 balls. That's why they're 50-50. He essentially just flipped a coin four times in a row and got lucky that he hit heads four times in a row. On another Sunday, that could be tails four times in a row, and that's what it was against the Patriots when he threw like three picks. So I just it, it's just really tough for me to give him any props in this game. Again, I, I don't know necessarily that he was the reason we lost that one. Just high. You can see Zach Wilson's, or, uh, Garrett Wilson's super pissed about it. I want to say that they kind of put the camera on him here. Yeah, like he unstraps his chin straps. Like he's done with it. I no longer want this guy throwing me passes. It's just the scenes, the body language all day. I, I just, I can't. That ball, late, high. This one too. Like I don't even know what that was. I I, I don't even know what that was. Was this one just yeah taking a sack as he always does? He he he's allergic to sort of like breaking the pocket to his left. Second and nineteen. This is the overthrow to Barrios. And if we go back, look, dude, we're gonna we're doing a little film session here too. As much as I'm a numbers guy, look, he has Elijah Moore wide open. Elijah Moore is wide open here. It's second and nineteen, minute twenty six left. You can hit Elijah Moore here. He can run out of bounds, and boom, you can keep the drive alive. But he goes for for Barrios, who's open here, but. If we draft him because he has arm talent, that throw has to be made. That throw has to connect, and it never connects with Zach Wilson. Here, second and 10, makes a bad sack with 19 seconds left. Now, we have three timeouts, which is crazy. That just can't happen. Three timeouts three timeouts with 19 seconds left is awful time management by Sala. But if you know it's 20 seconds left, you can't take a sack there. You can't take a sack there. And that creates a third and 18 here where he throws a ball to Elijah Moore that he has been doing all day. Just airmails it. Too far. He does. He did that all game long, Zach Wilson. Just airmailing 
15-yard throws just a crosser behind the sticks. Or I guess that was like a 15-yard sort of like crosser to the opposite hash. Uh, again, a guy that we drafted because he has like all the arm talent in the world and he just can't make those throws. So you can't necessarily point your finger and say, Zach Wilson, you're the reason why we lost this game, but we were at home. This Lions passing defense has been torched all season long. We're yet to see like Mike White playing against the Bears at home. That was a layup matchup. He goes out those like 300 yards and like two touchdowns. We're yet to see Zach Wilson just dice up an easy opponent. It is always insanely, insanely difficult with him. It is always 50-50 balls. It's always ducking and covering when he rolls out in the pocket 20 yards. I've just seen enough personally. This offseason, I'd like to move on. I would like a – it sucks because we're in a spot now where the team is too good for the quarterback. So we're not going to lose enough games to draft a C.J. Stroud, a Bryce Young, a Drake May, a Caleb Williams. We are in a spot now where we're going to have to sign a Tannehill, a Jimmy G, an Aaron Rodgers, pray for Lamar Jackson – None of those happen. We draft like an Anthony Richardson and like develop him. It's just it's just a whole mess. It sucks. I wanted Justin Fields at two. Everybody on the channel that was rocking with me at that time when I had, you know, we were like sub 5,000 subscribers knew I wanted Justin Fields to the Jets. I like Justin Fields as my QB2 in that class. So it's not Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking of saying like it should have been Justin Fields, not Zach Wilson. The whole thing, super, super frustrating, honestly. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of my Jets rant at the end of this video here. I will say, um this year has been a positive right you know our team total or our win total this year was five and a half for vegas we're at seven here everything after this point is house money we got some brutal injury luck right we were without quinn and williams on sunday Brees hall torn acl elijah vera tucker our best offensive lineman hurt makai becton hurt just brutal all the way around um it sucks but again bright future really good young core of like g-dub sauce Brees, Vera Tucker, Quinn and Williams, Elijah Moore, of course, but yeah, sucks, just absolutely sucks, just wanted to kind of get some things off my chest when it comes to the Jets, like these weren't even fantasy related, and I don't, I think that probably like 10% of you guys are actually going to stay this long, um, but just kind of where my head's at, so we'll see, um, I'm hoping that Mike White plays on Thursday, it doesn't look like he's going to be, um, this is essentially Zach Wilson's audition, I would snap accept as a Jets any day two pick over the next like three years for Zach Wilson in return. Just get him off the squad. I'm done with the quarterback, you know, controversies and drama. Get me a proven game manager, Ryan Tannehill, Garoppolo, and we will just patch it together like the Vikings have been doing since they signed Kirk Cousins until maybe we draft a Jalen Hurts or a Russell Wilson in the second or third round. Of course, the Jets will probably never be that lucky, but that's just where we're at for this point. And then once the defense collapses, like it did with Blake Bortles and that Jaguars team, you run it back um, of a whole other rebuild. So it sucks. If we got quarterback right at number two, we would have a team. Like imagine Justin Fields on this team. Brees Hall doesn't get hurt. You have Justin Fields, Brees Hall, Sauce, just an amazing team. Uh, it sucks. It's whatever. It's where we're at. It's the goddamn Jets. I've been saying stop calling these guys the same old Jets. And, of course, we kind of end the season on a same old Jets type of vibe. Now, with all of that being said, if you enjoyed, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Uh, we'll be doing a waiver wire video tomorrow, and then we'll probably have a must-starts video on Friday. Um, and then we'll probably have like a live stream in between there where we just sort of like, you know, chop it up, run up some underdog drafts, hang out. So, as always, leave a like, subscribe, and I'll see you guys in the next one. I got the juice, I got the juice. Channel, Chatham's on, Foolies glad I'm home.
Even my haters kinda glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my vagabond. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from misdemeanor.